Hello, everyone. Welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Well, 2019 has come to a close. And with it, the end of our second full year of podcasts on this conversation. We hit our 100th episode this past October, and we're very much looking forward to providing you with more conversations that empower, educate, and entertain. I've put together some of my favorite moments from the past year. There were a lot of them to pour through, so there are many moments that I didn't have room for. But these clips provide a pretty good idea of what this conversation brings to the table. It never ceases to amaze me how people have so much to offer if you just give them a chance. I laughed, I cried, I was surprised and enlightened, and I laughed some more. So starting with that, I wanted to share some clips from George and Abby and Kenna and Jared and Michelle and Kay and Rachel. George Varanakis has been a friend for a long time. I was super excited when he said yes to being interviewed. That's not really his thing. So to get to sit with him was a treat. And he did not disappoint. And it was like one of those times, like I'm just a snot-nosed college kid just right out of school. And I think I was, by the way, this is even, people that have ever dealt with me or know me, like my job was to approve expense reports. <laughs> and I was probably the least qualified guy to ever. Because I was just like, I was like, yeah, this yeah, sounds good. good. Yeah, that'll work. $4,500 dinner, like there's only three of you. Yeah, sounds good. Like, just go. And, Hope it was good. Yeah. And then finally they kind of clued in and they were like, yeah, I don't think this is a good spot for you. So I moved over and I was an account executive, I think, uh, on Infinity Cars. Oh. But it was it was such an amazing first job in that like the average age was like 28. It was like college extended, but it was this work hard, play hard mentality right. where like everybody was like right. really talented. I mean, right. the Think Different campaign is probably one of the greatest campaigns still to this day. Is that from them? Yes. Okay, so I, was I have there. a badge with that on right, it still. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yep, I laughed the whole time. But he had some really great sales advice, too. I didn't love those jobs because, it, for me, like I'm not one of those PowerPoint sales guys. Mm -hmm. Like I always kind of want to know, like, what do you need? Instead mm -hmm. of, here's what you need. Here's my I PowerPoint, see. ping, 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 ping. Okay. It was more of like kind of solution sales. Relational. Like, tell me, yeah, like tell me, right? how can we help you? Right. And that's really, I think, the key to sales. Not that this is about sales or anything, but like, uh, that's always been just my style. Sometimes it's not for everybody, but like, build that relationship, build that right. trust. When right. we started Portrait Masters, I only really asked the vendors that I was really tight with, mm -hmm. because if, if we screwed it up, right, they'd like, be like, "Okay, we give you a pass." <laughs> we still <laughs> right. love you, George. We still love you, man. <laughs> give me some drink tickets. What's, what's but, next? Give me some drink tickets. Just give me some yeah, tickets and good. we'll make it better. Yeah. So that those are the like the vendors that I was actually I consider friends. Yeah. Like I said, hey, we're trying this new mm -hmm. conference. We'd love for you to be a part mm -hmm. of it. Um, and I knew they'd give me honest feedback too. I think nurturing relationships with our clients are more important than ever. This brings me to Abby Miller and how I mentioned that seeing someone's face on the other side of my mic is such a bonus. So um, my youngest is 12 years old. And okay. we're in Milwaukee mm -hmm. and he was at the time going to be a kindergartner, full day kindergartner. And I realized that I couldn't be a stay at home mom if there's no kids staying at home with me. So, oh, right. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. So I was like, I need to do something. And it's not like a matter of, I mean, money's great, but like, it wasn't like I am broke and I need all the money. No, like it was just that I need to do things. You need, you felt compelled to do something yes. rather so, than just be at home. Yes. So I was going to write a book. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was the year I self-diagnosed my ADHD. Oh, <laughs> when you were supposed to write the book? Yeah, I didn't get even a chapter done. <laughs> Did you say in a year? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that, I, see every so often, every so often on this I wish that people could see a person's face <laughs> you'll hear me say that every so often and it's absolutely true it was true in this next clip with Kenneth Klosterman as well and General Mills was a great place to get hired as you know being in that right. in that realm right so I marketed frozen pie crust I just love how you say it. With a there's, big pause. There's certain well, there's there's certain moments that you want that you wish people could see the other person. Yes, there are. So from from frozen pie crust, you somehow made it to Seattle. Correct. And there was a little bit of um, of refrigerated cookies in between. Oh, of course. Because I was in the Pillsbury division. Right. So it was frozen pie crust. I invented a cookie. The the. That was my... A Pillsbury cookie? I created a cookie. Yes. (laughs) Do they still sell it? No. Oh. (laughs) So yeah, I never know what's going to be thrown at me. And Jared Platt certainly took me by surprise with this astute observation. The the two terms, sleeping with someone and making love, those two terms are dumb terms. Yeah, the, the... Because none, neither <laughs> of them actually so, make sense. No, there's no. I feel like they're like invented by soap operas, like as the yeah. world turns, so that they could they could refer to that with without sounding with right. kind of like sounding flowery or right, right. Uh, it, well, it's just a euphemism for something right. they couldn't say, otherwise right. they'd get cut off the right. air. Yes. So they yes. made up these terms: right. sleeping with and making love, right. and and making love makes very little sense in that way. <laughs> you know, because it's really. Not a lot about that and more no. about other things. Oh, it so, doesn't seem to be about that. Yeah. yeah. So like if I, it truly, if I was making love, I would be like, I am creating love in the world and I'm helping people. And <laughs> like, that seems like the right term. I think my wife would say me making love would look like me doing the dishes. Yes. She'd be like, mm, that's right. He is that, making, he is making love, love right now. <laughs> it's true. It really is. Michelle Salentano made me laugh a ton as well. I love this clip of her really slipping into her New York self. And when I was done with that, I came, I came home. I'm originally obviously from New York, in case you can't hear that. <laughs> I live in Arizona now, but. <laughs> you can dive into that real fast, real seamlessly. <laughs> oh yeah, you, really you, fast. You, uh, yeah. And God forbid my mother's in the room and I have a glass of red wine. Then we're like $4, a cup of coffee. Oh my God. <laughs> it goes really fast. Do you have family still in New York? Yeah, my mom is in New Jersey and oh. still a lot of friends in so New York. So when you go back there, yeah. it's real easy to just fall back in. Completely. I, actually, as soon as I get off the plane in Newark, you turn into a New Yorker. Yeah. Like it's like you go from like being really relaxed Arizonian to like, all right, get out of the way. I got to go get my bags. That's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. I love it. Yeah. Michelle resides in Arizona now, but it doesn't take much for her to become this stereotypical New Yorker. Now, speaking of Arizona, Kay Eskridge had me laughing and crying. She's one of those that can switch from hilarious to serious on a dime. We, and I'm going to age myself, and I I talked about this yesterday morning, um, when we grew up, we had pagers. 
and our secret code to each other would be putting in numbers that you could turn upside down and say right. hello. Right. You know, right. Right. How, right. how cheesy was right. that? Remember four right. three seven seven zero? And if you turn it upside down, it was hello. Right. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah. And then and the it, cell phone came out. No, the yeah. cell phone came out. It was the size of your foot. It yeah. had the the, the, <laughs> the gray thing with the antenna on the top. I remember. Remember. Well, the first ones came in a bag that you could then use in your car. So it was like oh my God. carrying around a backpack, and yeah. you're like. Yeah. Dude, that Ooh, guy's I'm so rich. cool. Yeah, he has exactly. A Forty thousand dollar phone. Yeah. And no. So I mean, it, but it. <laughs> we didn't have when when we got bullied in school. Mm. Um, we either duked it out on the playground. Yeah. We yelled at each other or whatever it was, and then there was resolution and it was over. Yeah. But it was face to face. Yeah. And I think that that curtailed a lot of the the bullying because it was a face to face. Like there was consequences when I bullied you. Right. There was a consequence to me. Right. I either got expelled from school, right. um, I got a whipping or whatever you want to call right. it. These I don't think they even do that these days. No, but people don't know what that is. Anymore. No, it's a spanking, right. uh, whatever you want right. to call it. Right. Um, but now, bullying is it's so easy because there's no face to it. Mm-hmm. It's cyberbullying is right. so rampant, and these young people are exposed to it on a, not only a daily basis, but when they come home from school, their phones are still on. And, and there aren't many parents that will force them to, to put their phone down or turn their phone off. And Kay really got me with this one. I kind of feel like we've been given a gift. Like we, God gave each of us a gift as a photographer, yeah. a, a talent, a vision. Um, my mom, oh, God bless her. I love her to death. She um, used to t- say to me that I use my heart before I see with my eyes. Oh, wow. I know. It's a good one. I know. I know. My mom is so wise. <laughs> I hate that I'm saying that out loud. But she is so wise. <laughs> but it's true. And, and this is the other thing she said to me one day. When um, my, my life evolved and it came to the point where I, um, it, w- it was obvious that I was never going to have children. And I, I said to my mom, I said, you know, I'm, I've met a man and I think he's, He's going to be the guy or whatever. And, mm-hmm. but he's already got kids. So that means I will never have children. What, what footprint do I leave on this earth? What mark do I leave? What, yeah. what do, what do I, what is my legacy? What is Kay's legacy? Right. And my mom, without skipping a beat, she says, well, honey, don't you think that with every photograph you take, you leave a legacy? Oh my. That was one of those moments when I realized how important photography really is. We take it for granted so much, especially when we're so busy, we can't see straight. So it was helpful to have that point hit home. Rachel Martin repeatedly stopped me in my tracks as well. She was so vulnerable and so open. I was captivated the whole time. There's times I would just come out of the, out of my showroom and I would and the client would leave and I would just cry. Yeah. And I even tell the story of where I we're in our home, you know, because we built on the back of the house, yeah. and I would go down to the washroom, I would sit on a five gallon bucket. Yeah. And I would just cry because I just didn't know how to do it. I mm. just didn't know what to say. And I felt stupid. And, and I was just like, I can't do this. And then I'm, you know, my kids are all heading into college mm. and I'm like, I've, I've got to do this. And so that's when I started really, you know, I, in fact, I would call Bill and I'd say, okay, I said this. And then they said that. And then what should I've said? And he said, well, you just say this. And I go, oh, okay. And so I would write these little things down, but the hardest thing for me was those objections. Right. You know, what if they say this? What if they say that? Or I hate it when they come and then they don't bring their husband in. All of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I so wish that John was here. I'm like, well, why in the hell isn't John here? (laughs) 
you know? Oh, that, that was my worst one. And yes, it was emotional because it resonated. And we laughed hard, too. Throughout the year, I really enjoyed learning in the midst of being entertained or enlightened. I appreciated it so much when someone would present a message that was fun to listen to and full of useful information at the same time. Nobody does it better than Allison Tyler-Jones. Let's take the example of the gal that, that is married to the hedge fund manager, mm-hmm. doesn't need money, um, and she's going to go charge you know, some crazy price. Really, she can't actually do that because she has to build the value. There has to be that value has to be okay, in there. Okay. Okay. Enough. Do you understand what you I'm saying? Me. Yeah. So you can't, so we say that, but really you have to build that in not only into your client's mind, but for into your own mind first, mm-hmm. like this is, this is worth it because of these things, you know, Well, you're, you're saying there's more to it. We can be facetious all day. Yeah, long. exactly. Get, but there is more to it. Right. And, but that's to me, that's a more interesting question. The interesting question to me is not how can I charge $5,000 for something? To me, the question is how can I make something worth $5,000? Awesome. You know, that's more interesting to me. I love that. You know, rather than just sitting around like, well, you know, yeah, it's easy for them to say they're charging $5,000 for whatever, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, no, no. Well, but but what are you doing for that? You know, I literally sat there and learned from Allison in real time. How to make something worth five grand as opposed to how to charge five grand for something was an eye opener for me. I love that mindset. And after hearing her put it that way, it seems so commonsensical. She also got me with this next clip. And so it really is like, are they, are they, you know, quote unquote picture people, you know, people that just love, you know, portraits and are willing to, to put that on their wall. And some people just are not willing to do that. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, is, um, I, that I hear a lot. It's like, well, I don't want to deal with rich people. They're all just all a pain in the butt right. and you know, whatever. And right. it's like, okay, people are people, right? You know, like don't be racist and don't be richest mm-hmm. either. Richest. You know, okay. yeah, don't be richest because right. rich, like some rich people are the nicest, most amazing people yes. in the world. And then there's some poor people that are jerks, you know, and right. there's some middle-class people that are jerks and yeah. nice. And you know, there's not, the people are just people. Right. Right. So it doesn't, so if you put that in your mind, I think we have to kind of overcome our, upbringing, whether we were middle class or you're raised poor or whatever, and you think, well, I would never spend that. Then if you don't see the value in it, Mm -hmm. if you don't see that that's worth $5,000 or whatever, there's no way you can expect your client to see it. And you're not going to create that experience for them to where it actually is worth that. It's not going to happen. Right. Don't be richest. Such great advice. Amanda Holloway had the same effect on me. She's just a boss. And she's one of the few people that I've known for a very long time, but hadn't really met until we got together for this conversation about money. You know, several years ago, one photographer out there was like, you know what, let's tell everybody to just start at three times the cost of good and just roll with it. And everyone was like, okay. Yeah. Um, That is the biggest crock of crap that has been sold to photographers in this industry. Tell me why. It's disgusting, actually. Tell me why. (laughs) So... For me, and I I have no problem being transparent, we pay $50,000 a year for my son to be homeschooled. Okay. Um, If I'm pricing three times the cost of good on my products, I'm screwed. Right. People have different needs. Families have different needs. If you have six kids, you're going to need more money monthly than someone who still lives at home with their parents in their basement. Right. It's it's a completely different set of issues. And um, a lot of photographers start with okay, I'm going to price my five by seven at this. And then I'm going to price at this, at this. And a year goes by and tax season comes up Mm. and they say, 
wait, where did this money, where's the money? What's happening? I also talked about money with Susan Stripling. And over and over, she was hitting some pain points for me. So what I found, and I have been in this long enough, and I've seen the way people approach money is they're terrible at it at first. And we all are terrible about it at Mm -hmm. first because they don't, you don't learn how to manage money at all in any of your schooling. Like you just don't. That's High school, college. That's true. Nobody talks to you about how to do a budget. Mm -hmm. And especially me growing up, I'm 41. I don't mind saying it, but money was really just not something that got talked about at home. Like I had no clue what my parents' mortgage was or what my parents made or anything like that because it was just improper to talk about. Yeah. But it meant that I got out of college and I got into the real world and I just had a lack of understanding of anything beyond you get your paycheck, you pay your bills, and then you have what's left over. Right. That's it. To do stuff. To do whatever you want to do. And when you're done with that money, you're done with that money and then you get paid again and you start it all over again. again. Right. And then something happens like your car breaks down or you have a major medical thing and you're Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I needed savings for this. It was one of those conversations that was difficult for me at times because I was one of the people she was really speaking into, but it was really good for me to hear. Jeff Dukowski made me laugh the whole time, as he usually does. But again, so much wisdom wrapped in humor. He may have delivered my favorite quote so far. Have a listen. And so we don't, it, it doesn't say 16 by 16 X 20, which is an unanswered equation. There's mm-hmm. no equal sign that says 320 there. Mm-hmm. And your mind is working that. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, you know, that's math. And we believe that math is the enemy of love. But when you get into, when you get into math, like you're not thinking about how much you love your family. You're trying to answer an equation. That's a pretty great quote though. And we sell love. We're not selling math at <laughs> math all. Math is We're the selling, enemy of love. That's that's it. Like 16 X 20. Everyone's trying to go. The, and maybe it's just me, but I see my clients and they have asked me many times, how many eight by tens is that? Right. Like they're trying to figure right. out the math right. of it all. Right, right, And the last thing I want them to be doing is focusing on math. I, absolutely true. I want them in love right. mode. Math is the enemy of love. I want to get that stenciled on our office wall. And speaking of love mode, a lot of people talked about family. Clark and Rachel Martin spent years building their business, and now their son Rudy is pretty much in charge. Here, Rachel talks about how that happened. By Christmas, I'll be gone. Mm-hmm. And then it was, by summer, I'll be gone. Right. And he said, I'm not going to be 30 years old living in my parents' basement. <laughs> okay. Pretty soon he was 30 years old and living in his parents' basement. <laughs> but one day he said, you know what? I am not feeling called to go anywhere else. Right. I'm becoming quite passionate about what we're doing. And yeah. so I will... I will stay. He was vested. He was. And he really saw as we started marketing differently yeah. and, you know, and I, my sales were better right. and all of that kind of thing that he was like, I can see where not only can we make money. Right. Because, of course, you know, we grew up with no money. We had no money. Right. But, um, not only could we make money, but, you know, it. he could see how it was changing people's lives. Right. Right. He so, saw that piece. Yeah. And so it's the three of us. And now, really, it's... You know, we just kind of work for Rudy. He's the, he's the youth. He's the mm-hmm. passion. He, he has the vision. Mm-hmm. And in this wonderful, it really is. That's one proud mama. And now to another proud parent and another family business. For the 100th episode of this conversation, I spoke with White House Custom Color's own Mike Hanline. I was pretty nervous, but I knew I wanted to ask him about his sons, Chris and Tim. It was worth the nerves to see the look on his face soften and warm up when he heard this question. 
So here you are in 2019. Both boys are in the business. Um, what is the best part of that for you as a dad? Well, um, you know, the best part of a family business is watching the next generation grab it and succeed with it yeah. and have fun with it yeah. and enjoy it. Um, you know, in my case, I've been telling people lately because I'm getting older and I'm still working. Yeah. I'm working quite a lot. Yeah. But, you know, I have a real problem is work's never been work. Yeah. You know, work's, work's what I do and, 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 and it's fun. And, you know, my, my, my wife, Diana, said to me just a few weeks ago, she, because I said somebody, I'm, you know, we're a family business. And she says, we're not, we're, not, we're really not a family business. We're a, a family in business. Something very similar happened with Dan McClanahan when I asked him about business after kids. So, yeah, that's interesting that Quality kids over did quantity. that to you. You didn't see it coming, I imagine. What? what the, the impact? Kids, the kids would, yeah, the impact that they would have. No, I did not. That was a very pleasant surprise. Yes. Honestly, I was a little bit terrified of the responsibility. Beforehand. Beforehand. But what, What's it like on the other side now? Oh, it's awesome. It's a ton of work, right? And it stretches you in ways you didn't know you were capable of being stretched from a stress and physical, like lack of sleep when they're fresh. But at the same time, that's balanced out by joy and all these feelings you didn't know you could experience. So it's pretty cool. And then it went to another level of love and respect and sheer admiration when I asked him about his wife, Alex. Has it brought you and Alex closer, do you think? I would say yes and no. I would say the amount of time we have to spend together as a couple free of distractions has diminished greatly, but the amount of respect that we have for one another has increased greatly because oh. I get to watch her be a mom and she watches me be a dad. Oh. And that's what we're doing with the time that used to be our side-by-side -side time. And, so, and you both, you, do you think you're good at it? You and her are both good at parenting. She thinks I'm good at it. I wouldn't say that I well, feel, you think, feel you think, good at it. I think but she's you think good at she's it. she's good at it. Like oh, you, yeah. you each think the other is really like good at parenting. The, from the moment that our first child was laid on her chest, she just evolved into 2.0. It was crazy. Like mama bear instincts came out of nowhere that mm -hmm. I've never seen in her before. I saw like a, like a fierce willingness to do anything for this child because yeah. all of a sudden the responsibility changes all of your priorities you guys to hear these people speak so honestly and vulnerably about the most important people in their lives is really an honor parker fister did the same with his grandpa homer who he named his rv after homer had a profound influence on the man parker is today this clip doesn't do it justice so make sure you go back and listen to the whole conversation but our eyes get a little sweaty here a book was created for the president of Italy to uh, promote uh, the awareness for global warming. And that's like right now, I am in this show, I'm hanging between Sebastián Salgado on one side of me and um, 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 Steve McCurry on the other side. I've made it. This is my pinnacle. Like to be in a show and hanging between two people that have changed the world with their photography, I'm there. And it has nothing to do with money. Right. And that's why I'm here. That's why Homer's here. That's why Homer was here, to show me 
how to build himself. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, kind of crazy. I'm taking it all in right now mm. as I watch you talk about this. <clears throat> yeah. And my eyes are just sweaty. Cause, yeah, your eyes are sweating. My eyes are sweating. <laughs> it is hot. It's in Phoenix. Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are sweating a little bit. Now another story from another industry icon. Greg Daniel has a tremendous story. He's one of those guys you look at and try not to envy. Well, at least I do. <laughs> we spoke about many things, but here he recounts the spark that started it all. A photo he developed in a middle school photography class and the encouragement he received from a beloved teacher. And this gentleman's reflection came up in this incredible piece of paper. And my instructor leaned over and said, you have a gift. Really? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, as a, as a small child, you know, a 12 year old, that's, that's a big deal. A big deal. It's a big deal at 44, by the way. And then he said, you need to, you need to take that back to that gentleman yes. and give it to him. And I did. And when I did the next day, rode my little 10 speed bicycle up to him <sighs> And I handed him the photograph, and he cried. Oh, my goodness gracious. I still have that portrait. I still have it. It's in my case. I see it every day. And, and I really believe that a piece of that wonderful gentleman that had nothing, had really virtually from a materialistic standpoint, had nothing, and he gave me everything by crying and that gift. So I, get a little, be... I think a little piece of him is in everything I create. Oh it is. It's pretty cool. The emotional piece is one of my favorite parts of the educate, entertain, and empower mantra. Matt Myers is a perfect example of this. He founded So Many Angels, an amazing charity working with children battling illness. Be sure to check it out at somanyangels.org. Here, Matt talks about perspective on the other side of 50. I think it was kind of right around when I turned 50, uh, there was a switch that went off somewhere in is that right? my, my mind or body. It was like, you know what? I don't care about some things anymore. Is it going to matter in five minutes? Mm. Am I going to get upset about something? Is it going to matter in five seconds if somebody cuts me off? The rest of the day, do I really want to be worried about that guy in the Camaro that cut me off? I got other things I need to do. So you were more tightly wound before? Not not really, but even, even I didn't consider, I, I was pretty laid back even before, but now it's like, I really don't care cut me off that's fine <laughs> nothing it's i'm not going to chase you down i will get my butt kicked would you have fight. done that before though never <laughs> gary hughes is a fountain of information and nobody delivers it in a more entertaining manner but i spoke with gary a second time this year and he brought something that i didn't expect we talked at length about mental health as gary shared some very personal information about himself i highly recommend listening to our entire conversation here's a brief snippet and so, yes, I think we do have to be, as a society, we should be more careful about what we put inside our brains. We should. Absolutely, we should. I think that, but that's, there's a personal responsibility there. You have, it's knowing yourself, being aware. And this is kind of what I really wanted to talk with you about today, so I'm glad we kind of got on this, is because um, mental health has become a recent, recent concern to me. Um, and I think that checking in with yourself and, and being taught that it's okay to be responsible for your mental health. People will do CrossFit, people will work out, people will run for miles, uh, but they don't check in with their mental health in the same way they check in with your physical health. Mm. Like the brain's not a part of the body. Great advice. Please check in with yourself in 2020, folks. It's a big deal. Jared Platt is another guest I had the good fortune of speaking with a second time this year. One of the things we discussed was his use of the Socratic method. 
the only way for true learning to occur is for you to come to the conclusion yourself. And that's why Socratic method is such a great way of teaching. Oh, I'm in. I'm, I love the Socratic method. Keep and going. So the, the Socratic method for those who are not up to date on that very old style of teaching mm-hmm. um, is that the, the teacher does not regurgitate information and expect someone to um, learn it and then regurgitate it back. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a lecture style. It's a question style. So if I'm in a lesson and I'm the educator and someone comes to me and says, what's the settings for my camera, then my response would be, what do you think the settings right. should be? Yep. I actually use this with my kids all the time and it's extremely effective. Another person I got to visit with for a second time this past year was Christina Ramirez. My chat with her was a little different and then it was an update on our first talk entitled Christina Ramirez is in a rut. This time she shared more about the what's and the why's of that rut and how she came out of it. To me, it seems like you had enough to grieve and be sad about that it would also be very difficult at some point to pick yourself up or to, or to make a decision. It's a decision. That's it. I didn't I knew. I just could, again, I, I didn't want to dwell. I didn't want to sit in the cycle of the what ifs and, yeah. you know, should have beens and could have beens. And I, I had to every day decide not to go down that rabbit hole. Hmm. And when I realized that, then my days started getting, going from being dark days to dark hours. Mm. Interesting. To dark five minutes. Mm, yeah. To I'm having a moment. Mm. And my husband and I, that was our key line. Are you okay? Yes, I'm just having a moment. Mm. And I would just allow myself to feel it. And then I would let it go. I think the movie Frozen has immortalized that little phrase, let it go. But in all seriousness, it can be a life changer. One of my biggest surprises of the year came with meeting Eric Floberg. A mutual friend introduced me to Mr. Floberg by having me watch one of his wedding videos on YouTube. It was the best one I'd ever seen. It's called Tyler and Ellie, and you can watch it at ericfloberg.com. I know I sound like a total fanboy, and maybe I am, but you gotta experience this man's work. I reached out to him and he agreed to sit with me. So I drove up to Chicago and met him in person. So this is, here's, here's my question. I get the when they cry, they buy type of thing, yeah. right? But even before that, I hear you saying, it's got to be great. Yeah. Because, you know, one comes before the other, it's got to be great. And then right. they get all emotional. Well, it's, and it's, it's one thing for the client to cry. Yeah. But it's the other thing for the rando stranger to cry, right? Yeah. Like, it's very easy for the client to cry. Like, right. It doesn't take that much work, honestly, because right. it's their day and it's their people right. and it's everything they love. Right. Um, but if you can tell a story that's so profound and put together something so profound that it's making strangers like ball in their basement, mm-hmm. that's where you're starting to touch an emotional heartstring that can sell your work to people. That's what's proving the goodness of the, and the quality of the work in my book. And yep, I'm the rando stranger he's talking about. To finish up, I wanted to include a couple more clips to encourage you in 2020. This one on fear and want to from Allison Tyler Jones. What do you think stops people? Fear. 
Yeah. Fear that you're not good enough. Fear that you're not whatever. Fill in the blank enough. Uh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough about business. The thing is, is, um, you know, one of my favorite books is uh, the nine lies that are sabotaging your business or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I'll get it to you. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, that, it's not the how to that's the problem in business. It's the want to. If you have a, a, a weak want to, um, exaggerates all the external things, the mm. economy, other photographers, oh. the competition, right? So okay. a weak want to. If you want to do it, if you're like, I don't care what it takes. Right. I am going to make a success of this business. Mm -hmm. I don't care what my mom says. I don't care what my husband says. I don't care what my brother, everybody else has said that I'd be a failure. I am going to make it in this business. That information is out there. The how-to is out there. The how-to is not the problem. It's the want-to. And this from Michelle Salentano. It's like you're either going to compete or you're going to dominate. Which one? Right. And if you're trying to compete with 50 other people in town, doing crap work for $125 and not really servicing their client, you're not going to compete, but you will dominate if you up your game, right. if you increase your skill level, if you learn new techniques, if you know how to pose women, if you know how to make all moms look good, you will dominate. And, and I, and I see that happening now. You see it at conferences, people want to learn more. And even if, you know, People feel like the industry is shrinking, but I don't, I don't think so. I think the cream of the crop are rising. 2020 is a new decade, you guys. Let's move forward as the cream of the crop without fear. Let's make it happen together. What we do as photographers is just too important. You have an advocate and an ally here at White House Custom Color. We're excited to walk with you in your business journey this year and beyond. Look us up at whcc.com. And you can email me, at jed at whcc.com or check us out on Instagram at whccpro and at this convo. Happy New Decade, everyone. Thanks for listening.